So I think the biggest myth about vulnerability is that it's weakness. I think a lot of people were raised to believe that. It was modeled, I think, certainly in our culture. Um, we see that a lot, that to be vulnerable, to be open, to be exposed is to be weak. Um, and the truth is, you know, what I found in my research is that vulnerability is not weakness. In fact, I would argue that it's our greatest measure of courage. When we went out and asked people, what is vulnerability? We heard things like, Vulnerability is the first date after my divorce. Vulnerability is starting my own company. Vulnerability is taking responsibility for something that went wrong at work. Vulnerability is sitting with my wife who has stage three breast cancer and making plans for our young kids. Um, vulnerability is taking my business public. You know, the definition I use in my work of vulnerability is simply uncertainty, risk, and emotional exposure. Vulnerability is about the willingness to show up and to be seen even when there are no guarantees. It's pretty powerful when I have 13,000 pieces of data collected over 12 years that I cannot find a single incident or story of courage that was not completely underpinned by vulnerability. I think the problem arises that it's, there are so many little paradoxes with vulnerability and one of them is that vulnerability is courage in you but weakness in me. When I meet you, it's the first thing I look for in you, but it's the last thing I want to show you in me. And so I think to really put ourselves out there, knowing that if we do that enough, we're going to fail, I just don't think it gets more courageous than that. Hello, hello, hello. Hello, Hello, Sani Bonani Molweni Dumelang. Oh, bonjour, bonsoir. Welcome to the Meditations with Cliff Central. Um, I'm here with my beautiful co-host Lisa Cindy. Oh, I'm here with my beautiful co-host Biden Jomani. Thank you very much, Lisa. <laughs> uh, today uh, we decided to change the pace a little bit, and you know we've done. We've done a lot so far and we, we thought, you know, it's time to, it's time to reflect on the progress we've made. Um, the process has evolved so much. Uh, we've done shows that we, we never thought we would and you guys have been along for the ride. So we thought we owe you, uh, an explanation <laughs> <laughs> of sorts on, uh, the inner workings of, of, of this process. I think for about how many shows have we done? I think about 21 or 22. That's deep, right? Because when we actually, so when we first engaged Cliff Central, it was to do 10 shows. Yeah. Right? <laughs> Not even on air. We just wanted to like test the waters and see what they thought. And lo and behold, here mm. we are 11 shows after that. Yeah. I know how we've done it. I don't know either. <laughs> um, but certainly not what we were anticipating. Um, and it's kind of been like, it's been a good thing, you know, because we had a vision for what we wanted to do and it was finite. Mm. And I think through the course of this experience, we've just realized how incredibly broad and incredibly wealthy the space is as a, a conversation starter. Yeah, it's actually sometimes felt bigger than us. 
Mm. Yeah, it's it's been very overwhelming with each week, mm. knowing that there's so much to talk about, but it's so crucial how it's framed, mm. because in a way, everyone has spoken for this already. It's true. It's, it's almost true. like, yeah, everyone knows everything about it yeah. in some sense, because it's a part of our everyday life, you yeah. know, domestic yeah. workers and domestic yeah. work. Yeah, and I just think also having to deal with, um, you know, everyone, it's 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 that rare space where everyone has a personal experience. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing that I found so amazing, is every time we tell someone about it, or every time someone tells us about it, they speak on such personal terms. <laughs> I don't know how many domestic workers' names we know now. <laughs> exactly, and hasn't it just become... A lot of counseling. Yeah. <laughs> and we, we're constantly having to rein conversations in, and not even just on air. I mean, we'll meet somebody random, um, maybe a friend or a friend of a friend who has listened to the shows, um, and they'll want to give us feedback, which we welcome. Yeah. But feedback then turns into like, a 45 minute therapy <laughs> session. One of the things that I find quite curious actually is, you know, often like with a celebrity or someone on air, um, if people give them feedback, they'll give them as the individual feedback, but people never give us feedback. They give the topic feedback. And mm. that is what I really enjoy is like that, you know, that there's such a personal resonance with mm. the listeners that they can only talk about the topic. So we're almost you know, invisible in the conversation, which I like because yeah. I sort of hope that that's what we yeah. frame it as. It's yeah. invisible enough for everyone's contributions to be as meaningful as the next. You know, and it's such a it's such a healing process for for everyone. I think what I didn't realize would be our role mm. is one of of counselor. Yeah, <laughs> do you know what I mean? And it's and heavy, heavy, isn't it's it? Incredibly, <laughs> it's incredibly heavy because I think we have our own. Um, personal misgivings yeah. about this this space and this role. Yeah. You know, and then everyone always wants to open up and people seek reassurance. Yeah, they want to And it's tell so them. hard because I wanna like I wanna yeah. tell them they're okay and I wanna be able to create, you know, definitely a safe space for them, but also to reassure them that like everyone in this space is fumbling because they're mm. you know, mm. it's just it's a hot mess. Mm. Um but but at the same time it's just so it's it's difficult to do that and it's difficult to, to give them a soft landing yeah. because it is a hot mess yeah. <laughs> of a space. We started off only with the intention to speak and to engage with the domestic worker experience, Yeah. right? And we were going to be inclusive in that process, mm. but we were definitely going to have every conversation from that perspective. But I think this space has invited so many different perspectives and not just on domestic work yeah but on on human beings on our society on 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 power on um all kinds of things that these women observe mm. on on intimacy on shucks any number of shows that we've done that have been about other things right we had a, a taxi driver in here once you yeah, know yeah um and he schooled us on the taxi industry mm. and from simply being a, a passenger in a taxi, mm. right? We were able to make a domestic worker a part of that show. Yeah. And that's what's been daunting is to realize the infinite scope of what we're doing because these women have such an omnipresence, you know? Yeah. What I've also found um, 
quite interesting <clears throat> to learn in this process was how things that are sort of framed as very sadistic when seen as ideas are actually so vulnerable, you know, and so delicate. And the things that exist um, out of fear that becomes power, actually when, when you really address it and when you, you look it in the face, is still something extremely vulnerable and delicate. Mm. And then how do you deal with that? Because it is powerful, but it's powerful in being delicate. Mm. How do you navigate that? It's crazy. It's crazy. But I do like that. You know, I think we've become guerrilla warriors in the sense that in guerrilla warfare, the whole idea is to turn your, your weaknesses into strengths. Yeah. You know, and that's something we speculated about, but I, we've seen it constantly. Yeah. Um, proven to be true. Yeah. And I think even our own insecurity coming into this and, just being amateurs and being naive and idealistic <laughs> and ignorant, <laughs> you know, has yeah. made this a much more organic process. And we certainly hope that you, you can feel that, um, yeah. on our podcast, you know, we're not, I mean, we're still getting comfortable in this space and we're changing our, our minds and we're changing our approach every single day. And, and yeah. we're actually evolving as people yeah. and we're coming in and out of confidence all the time. Um, I mean, one of the, <laughs> one of the interesting things that we did, which was completely out of both Mbali's and I's comfort zone, um, because we're both introverts, but we try to do like, <laughs> we try why to you gotta like expose <laughs> me like that, girl? Yeah. Oh. So we, we thought, let's just Hi, do, my um, name is Mali <laughs> and I'm an introvert. <laughs> Hi, my name is Deliza. I am also an introvert, <laughs> but I feel like you we don't know what we're thinking. <laughs> no idea. <laughs> but we, we thought to do a marketing push for the show. So we thought, Let's go into, you know, real space. So like in town, we went to Braunfontein and we decided to approach people. We even had, um, war paint on our faces. I was dressed in full <laughs> domestic worker uniform, right? But it was like from a, mu from a music video. I could have been in a hip hop music video. Yeah. She looked, right? she looked very swaggy. I looked very, very swaggy. It was yeah, so gangster. Yeah. You were like the prettiest domestic worker I've Ever seen. Oh my god, I was the prettiest girl in Brown. <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> and she had a broom and everything. Oh, so hot. Oh, so hot. <laughs> but it, it literally felt like after, after approaching even like five people, we were so emotionally exhausted because it was just so out of our comfort zones. I mean, you know, introverts actually lose energy by um, engaging too much with people, mm. they have to sort of limit how much they engage with people. You see, Talisa is more consistent than I am, so <laughs> she's very self-preservational, right? So she paces herself incredibly well. So she's not ever too high or too low. Occasionally, she'll get excited, but she'll rein it in, right? Because she understands she's an introvert, and so she's very, very but easily drained <laughs> by human interaction. I, on the other hand, yeah, get so carried away. So we had decided, we had decided that I will talk and she'll hold, <laughs> and she'll hold the banner. <laughs> but literally with the very first person, Bunny was on it. <laughs> she like ran forward <laughs> and she did most of the talking. I'm, yeah. For about an hour and a half, literally, I just was running on adrenaline talking to every single person. <laughs> um, 
outperforming myself and then what happened i crashed you crashed yeah but like i crashed hard <laughs> like Talita was the only man left standing which is often the case i don't know why i do this <laughs> so yeah that was like once we did that and then we we just couldn't do it it's just so out of our but what does it talk about some of the things we we realized through that exercise right because what did we think going into it um I guess I thought people would be more engaging. More engaging. Yeah. 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 I guess I thought if we had a mic and we had a sign that said main sessions for Cliff Central and we had our question on mm. the sign, mm. you know, and there was something like quite charming, I think, and quirky about what we were doing. And it was Women's Day. And it was Women's Day, exactly. Yeah. Um, that people in Bramford team particularly. Yeah. <laughs> You know, everyone's the work people. Everyone's trying to be on TV there. The as work well. people <laughs> in Bromfordine yes. would be, would be thoroughly engaging. Um, and the way we were avoided, sham, the way we ended up having to like chase people down the street. Yeah. And that, that was also very hard because it was so uncomfortable. shy people are not trying to chase anyone. <laughs> so, so overall, it was just really out of our comfort zones. And that's also, I think, what made us realize how invested we are in this, mm. that we were so willing to get so out of our comfort zones mm, just mm, to make mm. this movement. Yeah. It, I'm always scared to say movement. Revolution. <laughs> just say it, girl. <laughs> but to, to, to bring, to bring it to the fore and to have really sincere and legitimate conversations with a wider audience. Mm. And I think we found that, like, people are skeptical to get into the conversation because mm. nobody's, nobody feels like an authority. Nobody is. Yeah. Um, and there's also this kind of latent guilt, I think, that we all feel as employers of domestic workers. You know, mm. there's, I mean, even the best of employers, um, take liberties to put it <laughs> to put it mildly right there's yeah. just things inherently in the space that are norms right that are commonplace mm. um that are still not quite right yeah. <laughs> you know the only thing worse than discussing some of the conditions these women work in the only thing worse than that is actually having to be them yeah and to 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 go through those things firsthand. Mm. Um, so the fact that even the conversation is so precious, yeah, is a little bit ironic. <laughs> it's like yeah. you, you know, if, if, if the fact that these women Sorry. themselves who go through this on a daily basis have had more courage in talking about this than people who can engage it from. A distance, yeah, is a bit weird. Unless, unless, like I was saying earlier, there is this latent guilt where everyone feels mm. culpable in a sense, or having to admit to themselves, finally face the reality of the relationships they have with their domestic workers. Because we, as people, for some reason, we feel like if we make something a sacred cow, or if we shy from talking about something if we make it taboo or we make it an uncomfortable topic and we don't engage in it for some reason it creates in our heads the illusion it doesn't exist but things never stop growing mm. even though it's silent yeah so and i guess that's why it's so hard to talk about it because you know things have been growing onto something that's just so fundamentally yeah. flawed yeah Dear Madam, for instance, so <clears throat> just to okay, move on to a different exercise. 
Um, <laughs> That's so many. <laughs> a different exercise we, we did is we um, put out an, an open letter from the ladies we've worked with. Uh, we helped them to put it together. But we were essentially scribes in the process. Um, yeah. And that was it. It was a sincere letter from them about their experiences. It was open an open letter to, to South African madams. And mind you, we are all madams. So, you know, nobody can divorce themselves from that role. Um, I know we think of madams as white women in particular, but really anyone in South Africa who is a domestic worker plays the role of, of madam, right? So yeah. that's, it was an open letter to all of us, I guess, in that sense. And, you know, we touched on very, very real, but quite hardcore things as well, in the sense that I think they were jarring for a lot of people to to face. So we tried to do it with an element of humor. And it was a let it it read very easily and I think they they wanted to write it in good spirits and they wanted yeah. it to be constructive and loving, which I think it was. And also and also funny. But it was also the sort of humor that they told us the stories with. Exactly. Yeah. Ex- yeah. Exactly. There's a saying, something like bitter medicine goes down well with a spoonful of sugar. I feel like that's what we try to do. Yeah. And yet even for the most kind of open minded of people and, and, and bravest of people and most progressive around us, it was a very uncomfortable read. Yeah. You know, because yeah. we touched on domestic workers washing underwear, their relationships with pets, medicine. Yes, medical aid, we touched on baiting, you know, how employers sometimes play this game of hide and seek to try Mm -hmm. and check if mask workers are doing um, their job, so they'll they'll hide things in in strange places. We touched on things like leave, we touched on on maternity leave in particular, which a lot of domestic workers don't get. Privacy we touched on, and, you know, even for employers who I think consider themselves very humane and consider consider themselves to be doing right by their domestic workers it was uncomfortable and they almost they almost didn't want to talk about it so where do we go from there (laughs) (laughs) and and this has actually been a personal frustration of mine is i feel like we're receiving so little feedback Mm. like we oh we'll get likes we know people support (laughs) the movement we know people listen yeah but for some reason yeah so so in a way we don't quite know because this is supposed to be guided by collective responses, mm. you know, because this is for all of us. Mm. So to not get, um, you know, the feedback that I think is very necessary for something that's so personal to so many, mm. it's so hard to navigate the ship. I mean, you know, even from don't a be scared, <laughs> don't be scared. <laughs> but even from a personal point of view, you know, I don't have a domestic work. I've never had one. My family has never had one. So it's very difficult for me to know how to do this if I don't get feedback from those that are personally grappling with these topics. So it's been a strange, it's been a strange con- combination, right? A very intimate feedback. Ooh, yeah. And then Nothing. no feedback at all. <laughs> <laughs> but the fact that there's no in-betweens is such a reflection on the, the importance of the topic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but there's certainly not been a lack of interest and for that we would like to thank you, but we just want you to be a little bit more forthcoming. <laughs> <laughs> but not for 45 minutes. But not for 45 minutes. Is that okay? <laughs> what are some of your greatest lessons learned so far? What I have found very humbling is how 
you don't have to make excuses for bad behavior based on where you come from, you know, because a lot of the women that we've met and, and bad behavior is maybe even the wrong way to term it. Mm. But like the women that we've met, they will speak about such dehumanizing situations mm. that they're going, that they'll go through as soon as they get home after our conversation. Mm. And yet if you, if you ask them anything about what you would do to the family, if you were a bit more powerful, if you had money, if you got out of the situation and you had the opportunity to do something, what would you do? And it's always from such a place of love that they speak. Mm. Um, and sometimes I wonder, is it, is it, you know, Stockholm syndrome mm. in a way? And I'm not sure, but I, I always, I've always felt like they, they actually speak from such a place of love that they always see the other person's humanity no matter what. Mm. And so if there's a fault on their part, they see it from the perspective that all humans are gravely flawed mm. and we're all gravely conditioned and that there's, there's just an air of forgiveness. Well, with the ladies that we've spoken to mm. and I personally find, find it very humbling because I have, had so many frustrations surrounding race and surrounding, um, you know, and, and I'm a lecturer and like having to deal with the decolonization conversations. And I have so much frustration, you know, or like the Black Lives Matter movement. And, and sometimes I get so afraid that I'll become a product of that frustration and that helplessness. So it's so amazing yes, to see. I absolutely those love women. what you've said, because I think in our minds, we build forgiveness up. Yeah. To be something bigger mm. than a sentiment or a feeling or an attitude, right? Because we, we intellectualize, I think, and take stock of all of the wrongs. Yeah. You know? And whilst we should do that with a view to fix things, I think that the gravity of those things does not have to arrest forgiveness mm. or, or make you the thing that, that angers you. Mm. But you know, what's also very interesting about that situation is that they practice loving their perpetrators, so to speak. Yeah. I say that in inverted commas. So, you know, they do, they do still raise a lot of people's children in order to raise a child. You have to have some sort of love for them. And that's yeah. a practicing of love. And so even though <clears throat> they can be in a situation where that child disrespects them or that child acts like their boss, yeah. um, you know, it, it makes that situation very interesting because you get to practice forgiveness because you're practicing love. Yeah, And I think in, in certain situations regarding marginalization, that's not often the case. Yeah. You're not practicing to yeah. love the thing that is hurting you. Yeah. So where do you practice forgiveness? No. Like, you know how they say that the person that hurts you often forgets what they've done, but that the person that is hurt, you know, takes much longer to forget. Mm. They have to go through the yeah, process you see, of healing. Exactly. So this stuff. is the distinction between forgiveness and for forgetting. Yes. I think forgiveness can and should happen a lot faster than forgetting. The trouble is yeah. when, when you've forgiven people, right? If you find it in yourself, mm. then often they forget and you feel like you should forget as well. Whereas the what still needs to be dealt with. Yeah. And worked through. Yeah. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. So I think 
it's important to, it's incredibly important to forgive, but not to forget. Why I say it's important to forgive is I think it makes the process of, of healing and progress mm. a more expedient and a more constructive one. Mm. You know what I mean? If you mm. approach progress with a feeling of forgiveness, mm. right? The mm. outcome is likely to be less vengeful and more, and, and just to make the world better. But you know when forg- where forgiveness is hard is when the hurt is constant. Yeah. And, and but the action of hurting yes. the person is exactly. constant. Exactly. So and but, and that's again like the role that I think a lot of these ladies find themselves in is that it's so constant. Mm, it's an everyday thing. So that's thing. what makes it particularly profound, right? Yeah, definitely. It's not like forgiving the past. Yeah. It's forgiving your everyday Yeah, it's a constant experience. Practice. Yeah. But you know, at the same time then I wonder, like, when do you get to demand that something must stop, you know? And when do you get to do that on terms where you're not threatened because you're in a position less powerful? And that's very difficult, you know? And that's why I really admire their ability. To forgive, but then sometimes I wonder, is forgiveness their only option and their only means of staying sane Mm. in a condition that is horrible for some, not for all, but for some? It's incredibly difficult to work out. I mean, I think on that note, what I've learned is just how much pain and stigma arrests value. Yeah. And... A lot of these women have had to set themselves aside as individuals, as human beings with with aspirations and who want to explore themselves and their talents and express themselves and who want to achieve. Mm. They've had to set themselves aside in that sense to and, and tune out all of their inalienable yeah. Right to, to want something better. They've had to tune that out to do, to face their circumstances. They've done that for something that they often see as temporary. Yeah. Which is also so deeply saddening is that so many thought that it would be a few years, some even a few months that they would be there until they found another job or found a way to pursue their dream or found a way to study got married <laughs> it's, it's the dreaming it's the dreaming that guts me the most it's the dreaming and it's the talent that that guts me the yes. most you know what i mean so uh, and the two kind of work hand in hand right yeah. a combination of of dreaming and talent is largely what leads to success yeah and the pursuit of happiness yeah it's like yeah inherent belief yeah it's um, like the it's the first stepping stone to, and so to if that. you are stuck in a situation that is so rife with with stigma and people constantly undermining you that it's too painful to dream or to be talented. Can you imagine feeling stuck in the job of a domestic worker if you had a talent and a dream, but purely from a material point of view, Mm. couldn't get out because you had to support your family or because things didn't work out for some other reason. Hmm. I mean, there might have been, there might be like a potential neuroscientist <laughs> cleaning your floor. Absolutely. Right now. <laughs> absolutely. And so how much human capital do we waste yeah. 
in that sense. Absolutely. And that's the inherent problem with any role that becomes an identity. So we cannot Absolutely. load people's roles with, with classism and with, with prejudice and with indignity. You know, yeah. we can't, we can't. Yeah. You know, when you're offered an identity in spite of what you know you are, mm. you know, because your narrative's already written, people refer to you through your stigma. It's maddening. Yeah. Maddening. And the only way to survive that is to numb yourself and numb any part of yourself that exists outside of your work. So do you think forgiveness is a form of numbing? Yeah. Oh, that is Because if you had to be angry, yeah. you would be defiant. You know what I mean? It's difficult to be angry in a void. Yeah. Without it leading to, to some kind of, of action of sorts or defiance. Mm. You know? Mm. It's almost like the two go hand in hand. Mm. It must be excruciating to be ang- angry and then not act. Yeah. Anger needs physical expression. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It just does. <clears throat> and it also sucks when um anger feels like your anger and action and actioning that anger feels like your only option mm. and it's something that is so outside of your natural self, mm. you know? And that you then start to be, defi- you start to get defined by your reactive behaviors mm. rather than your actual ones. Sure. I think what we're trying to do with the mess is bring it to light because mm. it's festering, mm. you know, and it's not helping us to pretend. Or we're going to expose the mess. Yes, yeah, exactly. we're going to expose the mess exactly. and we're going to try very hard to put the mess in, in perspective and we're going to try to involve everyone in a mm. process of figuring out what to do with the mess. Yeah, and we want you to know that we're terrified at all times. Always. So <laughs> never not. Yeah, we're we're not necessarily leading the pack you know with any sort of profound knowledge that anyone else doesn't have. So that's why we really insist on um feedback because we we do appreciate it. I mean, I think all of our human experiences are really important in yeah. this process. It's also an exciting space if you think about there's very few demographics or there's very few spaces in our society that are kind of unrealized and undiscovered. Mm, you know? It's a gold mine. It's a gold mine. It's a gold <laughs> mine. You, the problem with, and this is why I love turning weaknesses into strengths, because mm. that's what's so exciting is that it's so rare in this 21st century of ours um, where things just happen so rapidly, you know, and they, they, they grow exponentially to find markets and spaces that are not saturated. Yeah. Have you, have you ever thought, Bali, that people just won't want to, you know, listen to us because you're not like the Kardashians <laughs> or trying to tell them the no, latest not trend? Really. No, not really. And I like this idea. So basically, if if markets and spaces and creative spaces are saturated, yeah. right? Um, you've got to find alternative ways to create value. And so, to answer your question about the Kardashians, I think who I love, by the way. <laughs> oh, listen, <laughs> personally, yes. it's the, dude, the greatest guilty indulgence. I think those uh, types of, of of figures in our society are are inaccessible to people as much as we feel like we have access to them Mm. we don't and they're and you know we we do maybe on social media and we have access to information on their lives but not to them as people yeah which makes them unrelatable and i love how relatable 
we are and mm. in the space, yeah. right? Because I think it t- it creates a different type of of icon. <laughs> oh, absolutely! Yeah. Right? Uh, she's one who exists at, at at grassroots and in the real world. Yeah, but you know what? What is accessible about the Kardashians mm. is aspiration. Mm. You know, is and it's so interesting because with aspiration, it almost feels like the story to, you know, success, whatever people deem success as, is irrelevant. Mm. You know, <laughs> it's, it's the final, I've, the final outcome is enough. So, and, and because everyone can aspire to some form of success, even the ones that are stigmatized and stifled mm. in dreaming and thinking yeah. beyond themselves. There's still some form of of aspirational quality in their thinking. Yet, that is all the good stuff we miss out on. I would love to... That's not what you see on Keeping Up With The Kardashians, right? Yeah. If you follow that story since the sex tape with Ray J came out. I would like a lot of, a lot more of, of kind of the, the raw vulnerability and the fumbling that goes into the process Completely, of yeah. creating an icon. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Not just the glitz and the glamour that they show. And look, they they do try and keep it real. Yeah. Um, but I, we also know it's not that it's real. It's scripted, yeah. You know, it's incredibly scripted and there's something they're trying to portray and they're definitely for me probably the most interesting parts of their story have been left out, you know? Yeah. The days when they're not glamorous or they don't feel like it or the days when um the truth comes out about, you know, who has ulterior motives in the process? Whose fame is it anyway? Yeah. Or really? What did they all want to be? I want to know what they wanted to be before they were Kardashians. You know, I want to know what <laughs> happened to those dreams. Yeah. I want to know all of that stuff. And the beauty with taking a story like one of a domestic worker mm-hmm. and taking people through every step of her emancipation. If yeah. a domestic worker tomorrow becomes Kim Kardashian, but for some reason through the maid <laughs> sessions, it'll be a more relatable story. We're, you know? we're, we're the backstory. Exactly. Yeah. And then people can choose whether or not they want that because we don't know the sacrifices that Kim has made. Mm. We don't know what she cries about at night. Mm. But I, I guess what, what I definitely do like about the maid sessions is, is that it's in a way tracking a success story, but from the most one of the most difficult positions that you can get success absolutely this is a rejected space i don't mean the kind of rejected in hollywood where you wait and you go to auditions for like five years and then eventually you get a break no 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 this is like (laughs) (laughs) yeah an adulterated rejection so so rejected in fact that you are cleaning up what people reject. Yeah. <laughs> it's like an extra layer of rejection. Yeah. Nothing could be more rejected than the space. It follows then that the process won't miss a beat in terms of tracking the unfolding of a human experience or a human condition, which we don't get, unfortunately, with a lot of the, the more iconic stories mm. that we follow. Mm. In the world, you know? So mm. that's what I like about this because rest assured, I mean, these women are going to be great. Because they already are. And because they already are. <laughs> yeah, it's just, exactly. It's just being, you, it's just made public. Exactly. Now. Yeah. Exactly. And I look forward to the future politicians, you know, the heads of state, the, the entrepreneurs, um, in the world coming from a sudden awakening of 
the value that the secret value that lies in in spaces such as these you know because it's the people we least engage mm. that are the most engaged ooh it's the people who are in a position to observe because we overlook them yeah right and we treat them as though they're invisible while while we're busy plugged into our, our silos you know and our unilateral engagements mm they're saying everything. It's like, for instance, when you're not driving, if you take pu- public transport and you look out the window, you really see the world. Yeah. It's a completely different experience. So true. Success 2.0. Yep. <laughs> Aspiration 2.0. Everyone is going to be like, oh, hell. You know, I want to be undermined too. No one will see me coming. No one will see me coming. Please undermine me. <laughs> Actually, I beg. <laughs> Yeah, we should make t-shirts. We should please undermine me. <laughs> <laughs> Don't disrespect me. Undermine me. Undermine me. <laughs> so thanks for listening to, to us waffling about. Indulging us. <laughs> <laughs> Our experience so far in the mate sessions. It's, it's only going to get bigger and better and you'll realize at some point that this was a turning point. Um, so we did feel like we had to share the very raw experience that we've had and the thoughts in our heads right now before we we embark on our second phase and we're excited about that what that will be and um we also will always appreciate the early adopters and that is all of you listening right now you're 100 percent firmly the early adopters and we have mad respect for you so yes thank you for joining us on the mate sessions with cliff central and on this journey as a whole and we we look forward to to so much more ahead of us Teresa. Mm, yeah, from my side, I do, I want to say thank you as a foreigner because I still psychologically feel like a foreigner in this country because I don't culturally relate. And so I, I want to thank you for sort of allowing me to be <laughs> in a very South African space in a way. You know, it's, um, it hasn't been easy. And sometimes I've wondered if I'm trading over waters that I'm sort of not allowed to be in. Well, on the other hand, I am a South African. And you give me permission? <laughs> no. I, I can sometimes feel like a counter-revolutionary, right? Because what I'm questioning is our practices and our, the way that we live in our society and the decisions we make. Mm. And m- much of the decisions my family's made as well and the ways in which we've lived. Yeah. You see? Mm. So that also is difficult. Very interesting. But people have been very accommodating and very engaging. Yeah, so in general, thank you. Yeah, yeah, that's that's actually really all, all that's left to say. Thank you so much for all the support that you've given us. And um, we really, really hope that we'll see a lot more of your faces and engage you guys more in person because that'll be, I think, very useful in general to the to the topic. Yeah. The revolution. Say it. I can't. God. <laughs> what am I going to do with you? Revolutions happen. They are just, you know, said. I don't know. I wonder, I wonder if I'll jinx it. No, it's you know affirmation. It's already happening. You know what I mean? It just <laughs> now is about gravity. But really, everything we've done from the start, I will say it, has always been in some way revolutionary. And I'm proud of that. I am, I'm proud of what we've done, no matter what it's called. Yeah, and <laughs> by by we by no means is it you and I, you know. Yeah, it's everyone who has been involved with us in this journey. Mm. So yes, the revolution is here. <laughs> <laughs> Please make sure to follow us on Twitter 
at Made Project. That's M-A-I-D-E Project as well as our Facebook page. Just type in Made Project as well and you'll find it. It's called The Made Sessions. Have a very lovely evening. Thank you so much and goodbye. Cliffcentral. I've got something important to tell you. Cliffcentral.com.